0: Where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, visit LCEF.org for more information. On this Monday, January twenty-seventh, we are studying Matthew chapter six, verses one through eighteen. Jesus warns his disciples against hypocrisy when it comes to the matters of almsgiving, prayer, and fasting, and he teaches them what it means to practice their righteousness as Christians. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ, as we study God's Word today, we have with us returning guest, Pastor Christopher Jackson. Pastor Jackson serves at St. John Lutheran Church in Algoma, Wisconsin, and St. Peter Lutheran Church in Forestville, Wisconsin. Pastor Jackson, welcome back to
1: Sharper Iron. Hey, thanks for having me on, Pastor Apple.
0: So, Pastor Jackson, as we get started this morning, give us some context. We're right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. What is there in the the sermon that we need to know? What is there in Matthew's Gospel that we need to know as we dig into the text today?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's probably the most important thing that you mentioned, that we are right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is showing us the upside down nature of his kingdom in general. I mean, right at the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, we hear these beatitudes, and um, right away we see that his kingdom is very different. The kingdom of heaven is very different than the kingdoms of man. I mean, Uh, In this world, we would never say that the poor are blessed, but in the kingdom of heaven, they indeed are blessed, and the the kingdom of heaven actually belongs to them. Um, In this world, mourning is not good, uh, obviously. um, It's a sad thing, but in the kingdom of heaven, um, those who mourn are blessed because they receive comfort. And so on it goes, and so today, um, as we encounter these words of Christ, he's continuing to show us what this upside-down kingdom looks like, and that um, if, if we truly are going to be citizens of heaven, then our life and our desires and uh, our hopes um, are, are all going to be very different uh, than those who belong merely to this kingdom of this world
0: jesus is, is just coming out of a, a section where we we hear him say several times you have heard that it was said and jesus relates some teaching of the rabbis sometimes it's it's very closely to related to what we hear in the old testament sometimes it's a little more you need that first century context and we've, we've heard him do that several times in a row you have heard that it was said you have heard that it was said he's going to start breaking that pattern here what's the what's the move that or how does it how does what we're going to hear today relate to that you have heard that it was said but i say to you where what's the move that he's making here
1: yeah so um he's he's contrasting uh the the received wisdom of the day with um the true wisdom which uh he wants to uh wants to give forth and he's he's showing them um a way of of life and as well um the, the kind of values of the heart uh which are are marks of uh marks of a disciple, and so um yeah, I think you're right there is uh certainly a uh a transition here um in in a sense you know he is uh he's putting his own self in the place of these other authorities that he is citing right so um, you know he's he's citing these various authorities, whether these are rabbis. Sometimes we even see um, other sources of wisdom in the ancient Near East being cited here, and uh, he's putting himself in the place of of the new teacher who shows us uh, the the fullness of of God's uh, desires for us and and what it means to be a part of the kingdom of heaven.
0: Mm-hmm. With that, let's go ahead and take a look at the text. We've got quite a chunk today. We're in Matthew chapter six, beginning at. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret." And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. That's the text for today, Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 18. Pastor Jackson, there's there's quite a bit of similarity from one section to the next. You see Jesus repeat certain phrases. Verse 1, it it seems, sets up the whole section that we're looking at. This matter of watch out for how you practice your righteousness. Are you going to practice it for other people to be seen? Or is this about your Father in Heaven? What's, what's Jesus laying out there as he begins this section?
1: Yeah, so I, I think it's, it's really easy to miss some of the tensions that Jesus sets up here um, in the, the context of his, his greater preaching ministry. Um, because in a sense, there's a bit of a paradox between what Jesus says here in 6 verse 1 and, and what he says in other places uh, in, in the gospel. So, for example, um, just a little bit earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, in, uh, in uh, Matthew, verse 5, uh, he says, uh, you, know, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all the house in the same way. Let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And uh, this might be a little bit uh, confusing when we encounter this, because here in 6 verse 1 he's saying, you know, beware uh, of practicing your righteousness before other people. And just a few verses before, he says, let other people see your good works and and so it's it's easy for us um, we have to remember that Jesus is preaching here right and um, so as a preacher, Jesus is using rhetoric here he's not laying down a like a systematic confession, and so if we were to think that this was some sort of a systematic confession that that might get us a little bit confused. But um, Jesus is really rhetorically helping us to, to understand what it means to lead a life of righteousness um, as a Christian, which um, I, I noticed that that's kind of a, a theme that you're drawing out in these early chapters on Matthew is uh, the fulfillment of, of righteousness. So what does that righteousness that we've received in Christ look like as we live it out as Christians. And um, really, if you, if you dig into both those verses, uh, you can see that really the, the difference is very much a difference of the heart. So here in 6, verse 1, he's saying, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. Um, but he doesn't just leave it at that. He says, in order to be seen by them. So the, the point is that um, he's saying, be careful that you are not doing acts, good works, in order to be seen and lauded by man, okay? Um, but on the other hand, uh, he does command uh, allow, letting your good works be seen by others, in order that, in turn, they might glorify God. So the whole question is, is as we do good works in, in leading the Christian life, who are we seeking to glorify? Are we seeking to glorify ourselves? Well, if that's the case, then, then we are just living like everybody else in this world. We're living according to the ways of the kingdom of, kingdoms of this world. And we're not living according to the kingdom of god or are we seeking to glorify god Um, and if that is the case well then we are showing ourselves to be people of that kingdom of heaven
0: so a a couple of things first i I appreciate you bringing out chapter five the the salt and the light because it, it it does seem like well which is it jesus do you want us to be seen or not Right. but it, it's not so so much about the matter of being seen it but as you pointed out what's what's in the heart what's the reason behind the being seen and one of the places that this always strikes me is on on ash wednesday because at least part of this text if not all of it is normally appointed as the gospel reading for ash wednesday and of course it's 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 right. terribly ironic at least when i'm it when is. i'm preparing that that week you know it says well when you fast don't disfigure your faces anoint your head with oil wash your face and yet, right. here we are in worship receiving ashen crosses on our foreheads that everyone's going to see. At, so, least,
1: at least sometimes that ash is mixed with oil a little bit, right? I mean,
0: true, true, <laughs> right, right. So that's, that's water, the way yeah. we, we get out of it, right? Yeah. So, but, but basically, what we're saying here is, is that it's not, Jesus isn't sort of laying down some sort of blanket prohibition right. against doing these things publicly, but rather Correct. when yep. you do them, Make sure that you're not doing it for the public purpose, but rather for, or, or better yet, for the purpose of your own glory, rather for the glory of God. So pray in church together, visibly, right? right? Um, pray and, and and fast in church. You know the the ashen cross is not is not in and of itself wrong, but why are you doing it? Who's receiving the glory? These are the questions that that Jesus would have us ask. Is that is that fair to say?
1: I think that's right, and that's, that's why I introduced this idea that Jesus is a preacher, and Jesus is preaching. I mean, we w- preachers, uh, as I'm sure you know, you are aware in your own ministry, uh, preachers use rhetoric. Preachers use images. And so, like, for example, in the Old Testament, like, preachers would say, oh, you have a heart of bronze. You know, well, does that mean they literally have a heart of bronze, or where, the, where are they getting at with the image? And so... You know, Jesus is certainly using rhetoric here, and it's um, and and some Christians do, or at least those who purport to be Christians, do um, take these things to a a very uh, literal end, and um, will. I'm not saying that Jesus doesn't mean what he says, or that we aren't supposed to take what he says, you know, at literal face value, but. What we're trying to get at is what are the rhetorical ends that Jesus is using these, um, these words for? And is, it, is, he, is he going so far as to say, yeah, never pray before men? I mean, um, my family, we have the habit that even when we're out to eat, we, we bend our, our heads in prayer um, before we eat our meal at a restaurant. Are we, because of that, are we violating this? command of jesus and you know i think obviously the the answer to that is no and and we even see this even within this very passage i mean jesus um when he says he says you know go into your closet to pray but then how does he direct us to pray he directs us to pray in a corporate way and a public Mm -hmm. way the very first two words in the lord's prayer are our father right so um this this recognizes community in prayer and not just uh individual prayer uh or or completely private prayer and and so we we see this already within the context of our our passage now um you know Jesus does give us these examples uh because uh i think you know i think it is appropriate that especially as we go into Ash Wednesday, and we, we heighten our spiritual disciplines of the reading of the scriptures and of prayer. Uh, as we go into Lent, uh, heighten our, our disciplines of prayer and uh, reading of the scriptures and self-examination according to the Word of God, and, and even other disciplines that, you know, it is within the realm of Lutheran practice to engage in, in fasting, um, in putting on the ashes upon the forehead, uh, things of this nature, um, it, it's important for us to hear that warning because as sinners, you know, people are with, you know, who still have this old Adam hanging around our necks, it's so easy. <laughs> it's so easy for us to allow ourselves to slide into that self-glorification rather than the glorification of God. And that's, that's a struggle. That's a battle. We're we're always going to have to face um, before Jesus comes back, uh, but um, that doesn't mean that in a sense we should throw the baby out with the bathwater in terms of these various spiritual practices such as you know the placing of ashes and prayer and and you know, alms giving and and things of this nature. Uh, but but rather as we do so, we need to always be. Uh, examining our hearts and um, and and our conduct to to ensure that uh, insofar as as we are able, um, we are seeking the glory of God rather than our own glory. Mm.
0: I, I think it's it's worth pointing out that in each case, Jesus says when you give to the needy or when you pray oh, or when you fast yeah. right he doesn't he doesn't say if which which right. i think is particularly important when it comes to the matter of of fasting and if you want to talk about that now we can we can save it but it, fasting at least it seems in our american christian context has mostly fallen by the wayside as a as yeah. a spiritual practice but jesus does say when you do these things yeah, not isn't that interesting? not if you do these things and so right. he's expecting us to do them but again, right. it's, it's about the heart behind it all. What are you—who are you trying to glorify? And it, yep. it sounds like whichever one you're trying to glorify, that's what you're going to get, according to Jesus. Right. Yeah, Right,
1: yeah, and that's—Jesus is very clear about this. Uh, you know, I always I always like the, the statement of C.S. Lewis that, that God is a gentleman, and he gives us what we want. And so if we want freedom from him, well, that's what he's going to give us, which— is hell obviously um and uh but uh on the other hand if if we desire uh for him to be glorified uh, in us and that is indeed what he will give us and and we see that i mean so um jesus says beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to uh be seen by them for then you will have no reward from your father in heaven um, and uh, he goes on to say, uh, thus, when you have given to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues uh, and in the streets. And, and by the way, I was reading this in the Greek yesterday, and it really never struck me just how obnoxious that would have been, right, to sound a trumpet in the synagogue. I mean, these were usually not very big, big buildings, but uh, in any case, you, you might do that if you were trying to call attention to yourself. Uh, Though they may be praised by others, truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. And so, um, if you seek to to have the approval of man, uh, well, then the approval of man is is what you are going to get. If you seek to glorify yourself, well, then you will receive that. But if, in turn, um, your desire is for God to be glorified in you, well, then. God will give you that and and this I think is really where we come to uh, how we can come to understand a little bit better and a little bit more fully the nature of this reward um, in heaven that uh, or the, the reward that the father gives um, it makes it a little bit more understandable um, what Jesus is getting there and um, you know, I guess a little bit of a trigger warning here, you know, I I do want to talk a little bit about reward. Um, This is something that um, we don't talk about much as Lutherans these days, but, you know, Jesus very clearly talks about that here. But when we understand that as God's glory shining in us, it it makes a whole lot more sense.
0: Hmm. Well, I I think probably the reason that we shy away from the word reward is because it it sounds at least to our ears initially as some sort of works righteousness. So right, I mean, yeah. I'm going to do this in secret so that God's going to give me something. Or are you telling me, Pastor Jackson, that I can earn some sort of righteousness from God? I mean, how how do we rightly understand what Jesus is saying about the heavenly reward here? What's what's the purpose?
1: Yeah, so I mean, um, this this quite honestly— blew my mind uh these the teachings about reward and so on um in seminary. I was uh I can remember sitting in a seminary classroom and and reading uh, uh Franz Pieper's Christian dogmatics on uh on this issue and my jaw just hit the floor because uh well let me just read you a little bit about you know what he what he says there. And and for your listeners who aren't aware uh, Franz Pieper was a, a theologian in the early 20, early 20th century. Um, he comes out of the Wisconsin Synod. Uh, Walter brought him into the uh, uh, LCMS, and um, was kind of our main, one of our central theologians, and wrote uh, a, a systematic theology, which which remains, uh, you know, kind of at the center of our life as in the LCMS to this day. And uh, Pieper says Scripture teaches that the Good works of Christians receive a reward, Um, yea, a very great reward. And the false connotations which have been connected with this word reward must not deter us from using it. We shall unhesitatingly teach, both publicly and privately, that God rewards the good works of Christians here in time and particularly in eternity. And then here's a quotation from Luther uh, The world hath not the grace, says Luther, to appreciate and reward the good works of Christians. For example, their preaching of the gospel in the world, their prayers, their intercessions. Uh, the world hates and persecutes Christians just because of their very best works, but our gracious God makes up for that. He is so pleased with our good works that he re- rewards us richly for doing them. And then he goes on to talk about how this, uh, the term that he associates with this is a reward of grace. And so that's the fundamental difference there, is that it's a reward of grace. See, if if I, if if I had heard <laughs> um, someone preaching from the pulpit that God rewards us for our acts of obedience and love in this world, um, I, as a, as a younger man, would have said right away, well, this is works righteousness. Um, this is salvation by works. Um, and that, I think that comes out of our You know, very good as Lutherans, our very good and proud heritage of confessing against the idea that we earn salvation by what we do or by who we are or uh, things of this nature, that, that we can earn our justification by means of our obedience. And we must always resolutely stand against that. And stand up for the truth that we are saved by grace through faith, and not by works, and that all of this is the gift of God. But for those who have received the gift of grace, uh, we are then by God empowered um, to to lead a life which is pleasing to Him, and this is going to admittedly be in weakness. And it's something that can only be done uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit as he works in our lives through word and through sacrament. But we are empowered nonetheless to do that. And um, the good news is that <laughs> being empowered to lead this life of, of, of obedience to God, glorifying him in lives of obedience towards him and love to the neighbor, which all comes from him we are rewarded all the more for that obedience um in heaven and and once again i think this goes back to um this this idea that um if we seek the that god be glorified in us um then in turn that is what we will receive and and you know in a minute here we can perhaps talk about uh how uh how that is in heaven, and and how Peter goes on to talk about, you know, how our glory um, it reflects how God has been glorified in our life um, in this time. Mm.
0: It, it, we've, we've only got just about a minute here before the break, Pastor Jackson. So we may have to save some of that for the for the other side. Sure, but I think I think maybe part of the part of the what we need to understand contextually here when it comes to the matters of of this reward. You know, your Father who sees in secret will will reward you. When I when I hear the term reward, I'm I'm thinking usually something above and beyond. So you know I reward mm. my kids for good behavior with something above and beyond. When you look in the context of of what Jesus is talking about elsewhere, especially as he moves forward, you know, he's talking about don't lay up your, lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. He, mm-hmm. he talks about giving you what you need in terms of clothing, food. And so I, I wonder if part of our struggle, too, is we hear reward and we're thinking more extravagantly than, than God is. And not that God doesn't give extravagantly because he does. So when Oh, man, um, I've, been, I've been doing the first article of the Creed with my, my boys on the way to school recently. And when you have to slow down to say it with them clothing and shoes food and i mean it's like wow all these wonderful things that god gives us what i mean honestly what a reward and maybe maybe our minds aren't quite in tune with what god is giving and how wonderful a gift that really is and, and we're we're just off we're, we're just off and maybe that that's part of our struggle we're, we're gonna go ahead and take that break though pastor jackson we'll come back to this conversation on the other side you're listening to Sharp iron here on worldwide kfuo we'll be right back please stick around Welcome back to Sharper Iron. on this Monday, january twenty seventh we're studying Matthew chapter six verses one through eighteen with Pastor Christopher Jackson of St. John Lutheran Church in Algoma, Wisconsin, and St. Peter Lutheran Church in Forestville, Wisconsin. Pastor Jackson, prior to the break, we were in the middle discussion of these rewards that Christ is speaking with. We kind of got interrupted. Pick it back up with with this talk of heavenly reward. How do we understand it correctly without going into works righteousness but still confessing what Scripture gives us to confess?
1: yeah so um yeah when we left off uh, we were we were talking a little bit about um, the nature of this reward, and uh, um, I'd like to read you uh, just a little snippet from uh, Pieper again in his, his third volume of the uh christian dogmatics and uh, so this is uh He's talking about heaven here, and um, so I'll just pick up with a quote. So, there are no degrees of bliss in heaven because all the blessed are perfectly happy. However, Scripture does teach that there are degrees of glory corresponding to the differences of work and fidelity on earth. This teaching has been summarized and provided by Scripture texts such as 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6, and Daniel uh, 12, verse 3. And then he gives this quote from Luther. It is true there will be a difference in yonder life, according as they have labored and lived here. Um, so I, uh, I, I really, um, the reason why I bring that quote up is that, in the first part of our conversation, we were talking about if our if our desire um, is for God to be glorified in our lives, then that is in fact what God will give us, and if we have um if we have uh cooperated with the Holy Spirit in this glorification of Him in our lives now, well then that glory will be reflected in us in in heaven. And um so you know, there there are degrees of of glory, um, but this doesn't take away from our joy, it doesn't take away from our bliss, but in fact it actually adds to it. So um in any case, well, I like to think about, for example, um, a Christian mother in Africa. You know, they say that the, uh, the average Christian around the world is, is someone who lives in the global south, is young, a mother, a female. Um, think about what this young mother uh, has to do in order to help raise her little ones in the faith. She she has to lay aside her work in a place where um, it, it's much harder <laughs> to make ends meet than it is here. She has to lay aside that work so that she can clean them up, get them off to church. When she goes to church um, and takes her little ones to church, she might face persecution there. Um, it, you know, in many places in the, around the world, Nigeria, for example – um, you may have people beating down the doors of the church um, in order to, uh, to threaten you and even to, even to take your life. And I, I think about that long-suffering mother um, who is seeking to, to lead a Christian life and instill Christian faith in her young ones at great cost to herself and, and also great threat to her safety— and you know what? I'm, I'm certain. <laughs> I am certain she is going to shine with God's glory to a greater degree in heaven than I will. And you know what? I say praise be to God uh, that, that she receives that due reward in heaven for her obedience and her life of love here on earth. Um, there's nothing but comfort in this. Um, This is something that that instead brings us joy, to know that our fellow Christians who have sacrificed for the sake of Christ here on earth, and have sacrificed earthly gain and um, earthly earthly honor and glory, um, that they in turn will be rewarded with the glory of God in heaven. Um, and this brings me to kind of another objection that a lot of people have when it comes to this idea of reward. So we talked about um, how people object to this idea because they'll say, well, isn't that works righteousness? But there's another objection that people often give, and they'll say, well, you know, if you have in mind um, God, you know, a reward um, as you're seeking to obey God to do good works, well, then those works aren't actually good. Honestly, I've never found the Bible verse that they cite for that. <laughs> I, have, I have never in my life, uh, never seen that particular passage um, because it just isn't there. I mean, if Jesus didn't want us to be aware of, of reward as we lead our lives as Christians, well, they wouldn't have used that word seven or eight times in our passage today and multiple times as well. In the surrounding context, but in fact, I actually think that the knowledge that the Lord will reward us in the in the world to come actually does empower us to lead lives of of love um, in the lives of love in in this world. I mean, take for example, um, verse forty three. You have heard that it was said, "You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies Chapter five, verse forty three. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven and the world looks at that and thinks that's foolishness you don't show love to your enemy you don't you don't give any any toehold in your life uh to your enemy um that's not the way of the world but it's the way of love (laughs) it's the way of love that god has shown to us because even when we were enemies of god He's sent his son to die for us. And so we're probably not going to get a whole lot of earthly reward from loving our enemies. In fact, we'll probably be mocked for loving our enemies. But if we have in mind um, the reward in heaven, this, this enables us to love our enemies. And But let me get a little bit even more practical than this. Um, you know, the... the <laughs> The disciples, when they heard Jesus' teaching about the permanence of marriage and how God's intent was not divorced from the very beginning, they said, well, if that were the case, it would be better that man not not man not marry, right? I mean, that's true from a worldly view. Um, but this knowledge of uh, of reward, I think, can, can help us when the world says, that doesn't make sense. And I always think about a woman in the first parish I served. Um, she... Uh, had a husband who was a, a beacon in the church. He was uh, one of these young go-getter guys that could do anything, hard worker, good Christian man. And um, he ended up with a brain infection and because of this became more or less um, like a three-year-old child because of this. And and she, she could have chosen she could have chosen um, the easy way in the ways of this world. Uh, She could have just put him in a, in a home, moved on to another man, uh, things of this nature, but, but she remained consistent in her, in her love and her fidelity towards him, even though there's not a lot of, there's no payoff for her in this world. Um, And I think if, if knowledge that she will be, She will receive a reward in the world to come helps her in her times of of solace and her times of sorrow and her times of struggle to remain faithful to her husband um, as God has called her. Uh, Then I would say that's how that's the power of God working in her life um, to enable her to lead a life of love to him as she pledged to do
0: just just a couple i mean you got my mind going all over the place pastor jackson but but i think most important to bring out would be a, a passage such as romans 8:18 8, where paul says i i consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us
1: mm-hmm. i Absolutely. mean this is yeah.
0: this is a comfort to us now we're we're asking the question is it worth it to to do these things that jesus has given us to do this to be the salt and light as He has called us into His kingdom, is it worth it? And and this talk of heavenly reward is is saying yes, it is. Not yeah. in the sense, I mean, certainly I think we can take this too far, and and get to where, right. as the warning that that you brought out earlier, that that may not be exactly there, but but certainly we can take it too far, and make it yeah. all about my glory, right? I, I want yep. this reward so that I will have glory. And the, well, then you're, you're just back to what Jesus has been talking about in terms of what the hypocrites want. Right. Uh, we, we definitely can take it too far, but that, that misuse does not, does not ne- negate the use. And I think just, just want and we're, I want to keep moving, Pastor Jackson, because you got some good yeah. stuff, I think, on the Lord's prayer too. But, but keep in mind where we're going in Matthew's gospel, particularly in chapter 25, where you've got the sheep and the goats and Jesus commends those on his right. And he, he reminds them of all that they've done for him. And, and, and when, when he tells them, they're all saying, well, well, Jesus, when, <laughs> when did we do those things? Because they, they were not thinking about their glory at the end of it. They were really thinking mm. about the Lord's glory and, and they just did it because that's who they were. That's who Jesus had made them to be. So yeah. I, I think that uh, I, I, we could keep having this whole conversation, Pastor Jackson, but I want to, I want to yeah. move into the the Lord's prayer. Because I think you've got some helpful comments here in in the notes that you sent me, and you you tie it to what has happened already in Jesus' life. And and of course, the Lord's Prayer in the the piety of Christians across the the globe is, is just a central place so so take us into what jesus is giving when he gives the lord's prayer in matthew 6 (laughs) he is giving us 15 minutes pastor jackson 15 minutes
1: (laughs) yeah yeah oh man he is giving us something from his very heart and mind um something that comes yes from his divine nature but also from his own experience here on earth as he struggled uh, to lead this life of love and obedience, um, and, and as he overcame in that struggle. And this, uh, I'm, I'm always amazed that I have I've yet to find a commentary that really talks about what I'm getting at here, but it's, it's just so obvious when you take a look at it, that the Lord's Prayer is intimately connected to his baptism and to his uh, temptation. And that really the Lord's prayer flows from flows from uh, his identity, which was proclaimed in his baptism, and his, his struggle against the wiles of the devil to get him to act in a way contrary to that identity. And so the Lord's prayer is given to us um, as Jesus's... Um, as, 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 as part of Jesus' experience to help us in that struggle as well. So let's just dig into this a little bit. So um, Jesus says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven. And right away we can see a connection to the baptism of, of Jesus, where in the baptism of Jesus um, we see these words, and behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, right? So uh, the father in heaven is proclaiming him his son. And so Jesus invites us on the basis of that baptism and our baptisms as well to say our father uh, who art in heaven. Um, And let's just go on through the, through the rest of the, uh, through the rest of the Lord's prayer. Hallowed be your name. So Um, You know, in this we pray that the Lord's name would be kept holy um, among us. And um, I I do really love um, Luther's explanation for this in the small catechism that, you know, God's name is already holy, but what we're praying for is that God's um, name would be kept holy among us. And how is God's name kept holy among us when we believe and teach according to God's word and, uh, you know, as we as well— uh, lead Christian lives uh, according to it, and and so God's name can be used for nefarious purposes, uh, as we see in the second commandment. You know, through cursing, swearing, um, you know, things of this nature, taking uh, frivolous oaths, and and so on. Um, on the other hand, God's name can be used for for holy purposes, and so we're asking that the Lord would lead us to use God's name for holy purposes. And um, what do we see the devil doing in the temptation of jesus uh we see the devil using the lord's name using god's name um in order to tempt jesus Uh, he is not using it for this uh for this holy purpose um so hallowed be thy name uh thy kingdom come and so there we um we, we would think to excuse me, the temptation of Jesus, where he was taken up before the uh, uh, taken up and shown all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and he had a choice: would he bow down before the devil so that uh, before Satan so that he could receive um, all the glories of the kingdoms of this world, or would he continue to um, act as uh, the king of heaven, <laughs> uh, according to what it means to to be a part of the kingdom of heaven. And, and we know which way he chose, but in the Lord's prayer, um, we are praying again that uh, even as we face that temptation, are we going to Seek after the kingdoms of this world, or are we going to be children of the kingdom of heaven? Jesus teaches us um, to pray that the Lord would strengthen us so that we would remain um, children of the kingdom of heaven. Um, and then he goes on to say, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And, you know, um, the, the devil was, was tempting Jesus to, um, to seek... Um, Not the will of God, but the will of man, and uh, to be bent towards his will. Um, Give us this day our daily bread. So, as we know, Jesus was fasting in the wilderness. And one of the temptations that the devil gave Jesus is turn these stones into bread. Uh, But instead, Jesus invites us, as he did, to look to God for our daily bread, and to, to give him honor for the daily bread that we receive. Um, goes on to say, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And there's less of a connection here with the temptation. Um, but this certainly does go back to the baptism of, of Jesus. Now, Jesus certainly didn't have need of forgiveness himself. Um, but he did still go stand in the place of sinners in his baptism the place where sinners needed to stand. And why did he do this? Um, He did it in order to fulfill all righteousness so that through his obedience, um, our righteousness would be fulfilled and our sins forgiven. And as we stand in those waters, as as we receive the blessing of baptism, this is a washing of regeneration and, and the forgiveness of sins. Um, so forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors or, or trespasses as we forgive our trespass uh, those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation once again, there's just an obvious connection here with the baptism and the uh, with the baptism and the um, temptation of Jesus after he was baptized. The Holy Spirit led him out into the wilderness um, in order that he would be tempted. And here we pray that uh, even as we are tempted, uh, that the Lord would strengthen us um, against temptation as as we lead our baptized lives as Christians. So that um, we would, um, like Jesus and through the power of Jesus, uh, resist the tempter and um, his attempts to to rip us out of the kingdom of God. And finally, uh, but deliver us from evil. And the literal Greek of that is, uh, the, the words there are ha-pawni-ru. ru is um, evil and ha is the. So the evil one. So it's not just evil in general, but it's the evil one. He's asking, he's, he's instructing us to pray to the Lord that we would be delivered from the evil one, from the tempter, from Satan. Um, So, anyways, uh, all this is to say is that um, Jesus is giving us an incredibly powerful um, weapon in our spiritual warfare uh, to resist the wiles of the devil, um, to to act as a model of prayer— and I just, I just personally find it so fascinating and wonderful to have access to the mind and the heart of Jesus as He shows us how to pray in a way that that um, reflects His own life and ministry.
0: This is this is fascinating, Pastor Jackson. This connection, and I, I've, I've never even thought to look for this, but I think, I think you're onto something here. And I, I think as, as you were going through the various petitions and the connections to the the baptism and the temptation of Jesus as we see them at the end of Matthew 3, beginning of Matthew 4, I think it, it really tightens the connection between those events and Christ going to his cross. It, mm-hmm. In the baptism, Jesus starts, the, I mean, he's always been on that journey, but the connection where he takes the place of sinners there in the baptism, that, that puts him on this path to the cross is, is so evident. And Satan comes along and and tempts him to forsake that path, to, to go some other way. So so our Father who art in heaven, the Father declares Jesus his beloved son. And, and with his name, with the Father's name, Jesus goes then to the cross. And, and will he bear that name for the sake of saving sinners? Or will he bear that name for himself? That's the that's mm-hmm. the question that Satan poses. And and thy kingdom come. How how will you bring the kingdom, Jesus? Will you bring it through the cross according to your father's will? Or you will will you do it this, this easy way that I'm offering you? And so I really think, I mean, it, it really tightens this connection between those events and Christ's journey to the cross. And and it, I think it really opens up opens the prayer up even more than it already was. I mean like you said, this is this is just fantastic that Jesus would give us this prayer and start it with the words our father, inviting us to pray to his father as our own. I mean this is just mind-blowing mm-hmm. when when you stop to think about it. But it really it really makes this prayer for us a tool in our own lives, which as, as Christ has told us is a a life of the cross. And we've been talking about that all along. I mean, how how are you going to persevere in this life with these things that Christ has given you toward those, those heavenly rewards? How are you going to, how are you going to get there? How how are you going to go that way? He gives you this prayer, which was his, I mean, it's just, this is, this is great. Completely tied
1: into what we've been talking about already, where, you know, the question, the whole entire way uh, through our discussion is is who will be glorified hmm. are we going to glorify ourselves are we going to are we going to glorify ourselves by turning these stones in the bread by seeking these kingdoms of the world by manipulating god to our will by casting ourselves off from the pinnacle of the temple with the knowledge that you know he's gonna he's gonna bear us up are we going to glorify ourselves in the in this way or are we going to seek to glorify god and to um, have that, that glory shown forth in a life of, of obedience to him and love towards a neighbor, a life which always looks like sacrifice, <laughs> sacrifice in this world, right? And, um, and so, yes, this prayer um, is, is a way that Jesus gives us to, um, to seek God's help and to seek God's power um, to lead that life of the cross, as you say, uh, a life which forsakes the things of this world, forsakes our own glory for the sake of the glory of God, and, and always, always empowered by God and not by ourselves through, through our baptisms and that name which has been, been put upon us, you know, the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit.
0: Pastor Jackson, we have just under three minutes left on the morning here. Any any thoughts that we didn't get to that you want to touch on or just kind of wrap it up, bring it to a conclusion for the morning?
1: Yeah, so um, we could talk about fasting for a second.
0: Sure. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, that, that kind of stands out here as one thing. When you give to the needy, check, I do that in church. When you pray, check, I do that in church. When you fast, uh, I don't do that. So yeah, give us a couple minutes on fasting
1: sure yeah let's let's talk about fasting I, and i i appreciate what you said there i i had never thought about that before that jesus assumes we're going to fast he says and when you fast do not look gloomy like the hypocrites and and so on and so forth um so as as Christians, and especially as we are looking forward to Lent, and isn't that something? It's uh, a month off, and we're already looking forward to it as uh, as as good Lutherans. Um, <laughs> but uh, but fasting is a practice which is commended um, in the Scriptures and commended by many good Lutheran teachers. Uh, but there's a purpose for it, and and the the two purposes for it um, are once again well the purpose for it is ultimately that yeah, God would be glorifying our lives and we'd be able to love and serve the neighbor. And so the idea of fasting is that maybe instead of preparing three meals a day, you only prepare two or something of this nature. And the time that you save in terms of meal preparation, you would in turn use for the sake of studying God's word and that the money that you save, you would use for the sake of perhaps the poor, for example. Um, And so once again, this is not something that we do um, in order to glorify ourselves or to to feel good about ourselves, look at what kind of self-control I have. But uh, ideally, this is always oriented towards um, the glorification of God in our lives as we come to know him more and more and for the, the love and service of the neighbor.
0: Pastor Christopher Jackson is the pastor at St. John Lutheran Church in Algoma, Wisconsin and St. Peter Lutheran Church in Forestville, Wisconsin helping us this morning with Matthew chapter 6 verses 1 through 18. Pastor Jackson, thank you so much for your time today.
1: I had a great time. Thanks for having me.
0: I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.